Welcome to the Laity Podcast, a space for meaningful conversations about Christian spirituality, discovery, and practice. Thanks for joining in. Welcome to a new episode of the Laity Podcast. It has been a few minutes, a few days, a few months. It's been a while since we've uh, reconnected. I'm here with my buddy Steven, as always, and it is just us. Yep. Solo dolo tonight. Um, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, I, I'm... <laughs> So before you answer the question, let me go ahead and say life is insane right now, man. It's uh, still working from home. Uh, You and I were texting back and forth about living in a zoo and that's totally true. (laughs) I mean, literally I was like, I was like, is it more? Yeah. What would be like less noisy moving in with like a bunch of, of chimpanzees in a zoo, like just parking there. Or being at home with my three three kids, five and under, including a one year old, and I think it's probably the former. Yeah. But let's give. So I guess let's let's uh, timestamp this. So it's it's July twenty first. We've been, uh, you know, of course, more or less quarantined for a while. I guess really since end of March. Mid-day yeah. Well, you March. could. I mean, I mean, yeah. We're you and I have our state is not, but our, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. And yeah, a lot a lot's a lot's going on. I know for our listeners, you know, obviously we haven't been pumping out the content on a typical uh you know, typical pace. Um, but you know, we wanted to get on here and Steven and I have actually been talking quite a bit, you know, pretty much daily, uh, in some capacity, communicating about everything, uh, you know, from kind of current state of the world, from a you know, social, political, economic, everything, you know, what's going on, uh, of course, with the pandemic. Um, and then with the uh, all of the just horrific events around uh, black violent bl- violence against against black folks, Gosh, the death of George so Floyd much was George Floyd. It's, it's that crazy. Hadn't happened before we no. Come? So for our listeners, you understand. Stephen and I actually recorded an episode like two weeks ago. Um, just didn't feel great about it. Was kind of a you know we we talked for like an hour and a half and didn't feel it was quite right to just air it. But in that conversation, you know, we we finally kind of you know talked through all of that. Um, and now of course it feels like, of course that moment is still a huge deal and you know, that, that conversation still should be on the forefront, but I'll be honest, it's also pretty amazing. Like just how, like the news cycle, like just how fast things come and go. Um, and you know, like something like, you know, violence against, against black males, you know, I think like that's obviously a massive, you know, topic and something that we've, you know, even you and I have talked about offline and that of course has been on the forefront of the social consciousness. And yet at the same time, like, I know that's ongoing at the same time, like it's so quick, you know, we're quick to jump back to COVID or will schools open or, you know, the uh, presidential race, which is coming up sooner rather than later. So 
there's a lot going on, man. I think like we wanted to get back on here, not to try to cover everything under the sun and spend three hours just sort of ranting about our our preferences, but wanted to have a bit of a focused conversation because there's there's so many. This has provided us an opportunity and a window in this moment in time. Um, us meaning the two of us, but us, I think, as for those of you who you know are Christians, for those who are sort of seeking, you know, spiritual seekers. Uh, I think it's such an interesting and unique opportunity for the church in particular uh, in this moment, right, to, to show up in a very particular way, whether it's speaking truth to power in in a way that, you know, is unique and is in sort of the spirit of the moment, or whether it's even just how we do church. All of this, you know, the pandemic has forced us to reconsider everything. And I think it, we'd be remiss to not take that that seriously. Yeah. It's a... Uh... It's it's also I mean it's it's been interesting to just see how quickly things just kind of flitter in and out of our consciousness, right? Like we've been in this yeah, we, yeah, so exactly. like, since you know March or whatever. Uh, we had wait, when did when was George Floyd's death? This is gonna look embarrassing. We just don't know. I want to say June. Okay. Um. um Oh so, gosh, no! It was May. No, well, no, that's not right. Oh wow, it is May twenty fifth. Yeah. So we had, you know, the virus was like the only thing that was there to talk about. Yes. For like yep. you know March and April, and then it kind of waned a little bit, and then of course we had everything came up with George Floyd and um, the the resurgence is well the the kind of growth of this uh, movement for for yeah you know social justice and trying to push against police brutality and um protesting racism and that that certainly had the limelight for a while and I, at least where we live it starts to it feels like that's kind of waning uh for for a while then the economy was like the main thing like trying to get reopened yeah. so it just I, i've just been i've been amazed at just how easily Things yes, just exactly. slide in and out of our like collective awareness, and and really, it's probably more just it sliding in and out of those whatever algorithms are like governing our our Facebook pages. Well, that's, well, that's right. Well, it's interesting with sort of the rise of you know the uh, protests and against police brutality, the murder of George and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and others. Um, the COVID thing to me, like I remember, like COVID felt like a joke compared to those things like mm -hmm. like in terms of you know the news cycle in terms of and, and even in my own heart and mind right i'm like okay like we can get all whatever about covid and look i'm not a clinician unlike yourself so I, you know I, I part of me is like okay yeah people are taking to the streets like my first reaction was not oh my gosh what about covid it was like yes let, let's go um but then the, you know as that has sort of as that has sort of slowed down a bit and people aren't as up in arms about protesters and looting and blah, 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 law and order and all this sort of traditional language um, to quote unquote, keep the peace, either shut these things down, then has come sort of the rise of, you know, these co the COVID stories have come back and actually co cases have gone back up and, yep. um, oh my gosh, it is just such an, and now I think so much of the conversation has been like, what's the plan for our kids, right? Because now oh, the schools, oh, it's, it's, it's all getting started in schools. Yeah. So you and I have like gone back and forth and you know, one thing I appreciate is I think this is, again, this is, uh, and we said this in the episode we didn't air, you know, I think there's part of 
there's an opportunity here for us as individuals to, again, really evaluate, you know, people, companies are evaluating how much commercial real estate should they really buy? Should they force their their employees to commute and come into the office? Uh, corporate corporations are talking about diversity, inclusion, and their board makeup, and you know their executive teams and representation. Yep. All that stuff is great, right? This is good stuff. Um, you know, the, the I think the average. You know, I work in executive recruiting, which is interesting in talking to these people that you know all very often. Uh, you know, live on the road and are sort of living for all of a sudden they're with their families and their spouses more than they've been in, in 20 years, right? Like there's just such a, there's such an interesting time where folks are actually thinking about are being forced to think about, you know, what they really value. And so it is, yes, we are being forced to slow down and yes, there's value there, but there's what's sort of even behind, what's the next level of depth, you know, in terms of what is this revealing? What is all of this revealing about the systems at play, about our choices, about the mm. church, right? About about how, you know, what we value um, as a nation, what we value as a culture, what we value, um, again, as Christians. And even some of this conversation about, and this has obviously now started months ago, weeks ago, uh, about getting, you know, getting people back to meeting in person, right? Like getting congregations back oh, for together churches. and yeah. for churches in particular, right? Which I think is really, you know, I think that make that's important. Uh, there's value in that, but it's just interesting. And you and I have talked about this and maybe this is an interesting place to start. I mean, I think even some of the language and our, our priorities are sort of being revealed for what they really are, good, bad, or otherwise. And it's an opportunity for us to really, I think, dismantle maybe some assumptions and some allegiances um, it's at least exposing our values. I think it gives us an opportunity to reconsider those um, if they need to be reconsidered. So it's it's an interesting. Uh, sounds like a ghost is walking in the room. Like, no, um, sorry, I uh, I I just used my Echo. Like I just told you, I've been trying to sell Andrew on uh, getting an Amazon Echo. I just oh asked texted some, the Echo and said, "Tell Andrew." Asked for some water, and then uh, all of a sudden, water was at my door. It's amazing. Alexa is incredible, but yeah. So I think it gives it, it gives us an opportunity. This is a, an opportunity that is unprecedented in history, where we can say, okay, what has this shown us about? What has this process shown us about everything from what we really value, the treatment of the marginalized, the you know the politicization, the the values of 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 Christendom, of the church, of us as families, right? It, this is an opportunity for us to really reconsider everything. And I, I think we should take advantage of that moment, right? And, and have these discussions and push the envelope a little bit versus, you know, sort of be, have this sort of default mechanism of we, we just got to get back to how it was. Or, you know, we yeah. just got to restore the new, you know, restore the normal. Yes, it'll be a new normal, but let's get back to just how things were. Um, yeah. And there's some sort of spirit. I don't mean kind of the capital S spirit of God per se, but there is a spirit uh, kind of beneath all of this, that's like reconsider, right? Like this again, we need to rethink how we, how we do life, right? And as individuals, as families, and as a country, I think. I, I mean, I, I don't, I wonder if it's even going to be possible, like, you know, like to, to get back to normal. Like, I, I don't think that we're going to be able to shake no, this. Not in the same way. Our, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of things will probably go back to the same because we're sort of addicted to the same things. Um, but uh, I, I think this is going to be, I think the effects of this will 
will be pretty long lasting. Uh, what do you, I, I am curious cause we really, we've talked some about this, but it's actually been a little while since I actually asked you this just outright. What has been kind of on your mind recently? Um, and maybe you could even talk a little bit about since the beginning of COVID and whatnot, uh, but all, all the way up to now, what kinds of things have you been thinking about with, um, I don't know, trying to recenter. Yeah. There's a, there's a real, a lot of stuff. So I want to be kind of controlled here and not try to like think about everything. Um, it's weird. I'm kind of getting to the point now, again, given how much time it's been that I'm like thinking back, I'm like thinking back on memories from like March, but I'm like, Oh wait, that was during COVID. It's like, I'm kind of starting. It is really weird. Like, Oh, I was feeling that way. And it's like, wait, we were actually locked down at that point. Yeah. So it's just really bizarre how much time has passed. Um, let me think what I want to say here. Um, there's a lot. So let me just pick one thing, Stephen, maybe we just even to keep our listeners yeah. engaged, I'll share like a thing and maybe then you can share a thing or two and we can kind of go back and forth. Uh, so I'm not just ranting, you know, we talked about this last time, uh, but it'd be good to unearth cause I think, or repeat, because I think it's been a big part of my thought, you know, we, revisiting. Um, so all, all of this, particularly around the, the death of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd and the, sort of the realities of um, violence against black individuals, particularly black males, really individuals, and what all of the sort of the taking to the streets, the reaction, just how the reaction on both sides, and then every, and then around COVID, sort of the reactions around everything from wearing, and the politicization of everything from wearing masks to distrust of the system, to like all of this is just making me is just exposing to me just the radical polarization of our culture and it's something i've thought about a lot and and in particular sort of how the systems at play and call it the systems call it the principalities and powers call it the forces you know of of our world um are, are so interested, I think, in, in maintaining this divisive type of narrative because it seems like there's so much energy around it and you have technology and, as you mentioned, sort of algorithms and and money behind so much. Like, mm. I, I just feel like this system is being exposed for what it really is, how it's, you know, wanting us to, to choose sides, wanting us to, um, you know, take a stand, follow, you know, the, the sort of talking heads that we're most interested in following. And the way that what I've been thinking a lot about is what does this mean for the church? Sort of what is the role of a different community, a sort of kingdom culture in the midst of that? And what, what might that look like? And it's probably not taking a, a core side on an issue and saying, this is the candidate I support, or this is my stance on this policy, but rather you know, exposing the system for what it really is and reimagining uh, and rethinking, right, our values and 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 really aligning in solidarity with those who are the victims of these systems and also calling them out for what they really are. So let me just uh, digress. B- revisited Dietrich Bonhoeffer as a thinker mm. um, and a, you know, practitioner and someone that, you know, I've admired and relatively speaking, you know, followed over the last six, seven years. And for those who don't know, you should look up, I'm sure most of you do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and also involved in the resistance against Hitler in 1930s and 40s Germany. 
Um, he was, a, you know, an outspoken member of the Confessing Church. He was involved in some sort of conspiratorial, if that's a word, plots against Hitler and the regime. Ultimately, he was imprisoned, and two weeks before the liberation of Germany, uh, he was ultimately hanged and and murdered. But he was also an author and really um, prolific, right thinker at a very young age, and. Um, wrote a number of books. You've probably heard of The Cost of Discipleship or Life Together um, or Ethics or a number of others. And so we, you and I both, Stephen, reread, uh, actually read a, I read a, my second biography of Bonhoeffer's a book called Strange Glory, which I really recommend if you're interested in his, his so biography. Good. I'm st- I've still so, got about like, oh, you still on it? Seven hours left. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's a long book. So fast at the end. I was just so interested and I just happened to just move really, really quickly. I guess you a double speed guy, triple speed. 1.3. No. 30% or so. Three, not three X. No, no, no. no. What? 1.3. Oh, I thought you were saying at one point I was three X. Oh, no, no, no. no. (laughs) Yeah. I crank audible on like 1.3. So 30% faster. Um, okay. But anyway, so but I'd encourage anybody. So Bonhoeffer had this incredible ability. So he Bonhoeffer went on this incredible life journey where, you know, he was willing, I won't go down this rabbit hole uh, too deep, but, you know, he had so many different experiences that really informed who he was. So he grew up in a very affluent uh, household. He had a lot of money. His dad was a, a prominent psychologist, psychiatrist in Berlin and was a professor. And so, you know, he grew up very well to do, very affluent. Um, wanted to be a pastor or wanted to be a theologian, sort of got into pastor roles, had two PhDs by the time he was in his early 20s, um, and, and then got all these different exposures, whether it was pastoring churches in London or in Spain, uh, doing a course at, at Union Theological Seminary in New York City in the 30s and you know experiencing Black Harlem and, and experiencing um, you know, the Black church and had this really powerful experience with the Black church in particular, which exposed him to sort of the 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 energetic sort of reality of a people that had underwent so much suffering and were you know approaching Christianity from such a particular point of view that was so well aligned with the people of Israel and uh you know not just Israel but sort of the the through line of 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 the people of God and so these experiences sort of shaped Bonhoeffer changed the way he thought about his faith and then ultimately when the the Christian church in Germany which became known as the German church essentially the Nazi church as the church was was Nazified um, and crosses were replaced with swastikas and the Jewishness of the Bible and of Jesus were stripped from the scriptures and Jewish Christians were sent to concentration camps um, and pastors were you needed to pr- pledge allegiance to Hitler this is happening in mass right across the country very, very quickly. And Bonhoeffer is recognizing sort of the, the weddedness of the church and the empire. And of course, this is this, you know, one of the most brutal empires in history, as we all in modern history, as we all know. But nevertheless, he exposes something and, and calls out something as ultimately a prison for something that is, you know, again, this this allegiance not to Jesus, not to the kingdom, not to this counterculture, but sort of how quick the church was willing to sort of be in bed with power, mm. right? How quick the church was willing to uh, just subjugate to the status quo of, of power. And those who, you know, and Hitler's whole narrative, right, was the, they were the victims of World War One. Versailles, you know, for lack of a better term, screwed their entire country. They were off the map and Hitler was going to put them back on the map. He brought the economy back. He he was, you know, he he did so many incredible things from an economic and national perspective. And 
the people, including the church, right, really rallied around this sort of this resurgence of power in in Germany. And I can't help but think, and not only of America, but so many now, but so many other empires, it's just the classic story. And the church can so easily say, yeah, we we subscribe to the same thing. We pledge allegiance the same way. And um, I think this whole process from COVID to everything else I mentioned socially um, has really exposed, you know, within me or had me thinking, man, what would Bonhoeffer be doing in this moment? What is the sort of the mm. spirit of him as a prophet, uh, as a Jesus follower? Like, what would he be calling out? What can the church be? What kind of signpost? What kind of, uh, 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 you know, critique? What kind of, as Brueggemann says, you know, the the what kind of criticism, but also um, energizing can the church be doing of, um, you know, co- of culture? And of uh, you know, and of people today in this country, and how can we sort of be in solidarity with with others, and not just post something on Instagram, not just like it, not just have the token black preacher, not just opt to wear masks and comply, but but deeper than that, right? What can we, what wh- what can we be doing, right, to really call out things um, and and be a part of a of a different kind of kingdom? So that was a long rant, but that's you know, that's something that's been on my mind a lot. It's obviously not not a new subject. I think this season has exposed so much and I got off Twitter. I've sort of been off every other social media for years. Um, and it's been helpful to sort of just unplug because if you're in that stream of consciousness, I mean, it's literally all day, every day, you're just getting bombarded and, um, it's, it, this is just, it's wild. So those are some things. What are your thoughts and what have you been thinking about? I didn't realize you were totally off Twitter. Like, Hundred percent. Are you? I didn't that, delete it, but I haven't been on it for for weeks. Um, just that, in terms of like actually logging on. Was that tough? Have you find yourself reaching for it? It's not tough. No, uh, it was. It's not tough. I find myself what I would do in like downtime. Again, it's just like this this habitual. I would like downtime literally on like a minute by minute basis. If I like sent an email or I was loading a document or different, and it took six seconds, I would look at Twitter for those six seconds. But it was just this constant. Oh, I can just look and what's the, you know, get a quick hit off of something, right? Something new or so. And no one realized, man, about, about that. And even getting the news, right? It's like, it's good. I want to stay up to date. And as everything was happening with George Floyd and all this, like I was literally like up to date on an hour by hour basis of what else is happening. There's a lot of upside to that. It's pretty amazing to see literally, you know, millions of people all over the world come out, right? I think it's incredible. But um, to be unplugged from that has actually been really, really helpful just to not... I just read a book yet, a line yesterday that was really powerful. And I'm trying to remember the book, but essentially he says, you know, we choose, you know, what we want to see. Like we can, we make that decision. Mm-hmm. Like we have the power to see what we want to see. And so sometimes, you know, to make a decision, uh, oh, it was a book about icons actually uh, by Henry Nowen. But, um, you know, we can make a decision to, to, to gaze right in certain places and, and not others. And so sometimes it's good to, to look away without ignoring, right. Or pulling away, but not, not fill your mind with that. Yeah. That was a long rant. Thoughts? Yeah. That's good, man. I, uh, I mean, my, you know, I, I'm not, I think I, well, I do have a Twitter account and I've, I've only, only ever used it to yell at U-Haul. Other than that. Let's <laughs> not tell that story. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. I tweeted something, you know, <laughs> two years ago. Um, uh, what but, has been the, what, so you've had, if you were to sort of succinct, you know, what, Sorry. What has been on your mind? You know, I know 
we've talked about a number of things, the church, you know, church and kind of getting back together. Obviously you're a nurse by you know trade and you work at a hospital. So I'm sorry, everything with COVID and the data. I mean, what has all this been unearthing for you? What's occupied your headspace and um, what, what would you say on that front? Yeah, there's a lot we could talk about there. I mean, I've done, um, I, I, I think the biggest thing that I've been thinking about and, and we have started making some changes in our lives based on this is it has, it has exposed in my own life and my family's life, sort of how we, in the rhythm that we maintain, but also I think in, 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 in my, just the society, the place that we live, this real problem we have with, with stamina, um, hmm. You know, when this whole thing started, we were going out, and there, there was there was an amazing energy around. Like, speaking about like when we went into lockdown, sometime in March or February, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking at church all the time uh, about how, you know, this, the easiest way to love your neighbor right now is to wear is you know to stay home, and. There was there was this really like sacrificial spirit, this sense that like, hey, we are all in this together. This is really hard, but right now this season we've got to get through this. Um, and you know, we we were we were walking around the neighborhood, you know, chalking messages and stuff like that, and um, that lasted for a while, but then people get like lonely and bored. Yeah, right? like there there is this. I noticed in myself. Of course, you know, I was like, of course, I was willing to be to sacrifice. Of course, I'll do things that are that seem hard and difficult because um, there's this like great, you know, thing to fight for. Um, but then pretty soon, it it just it, it just kind of run out of steam. I mean, I look at now, yeah. you know, now we're actually we're 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 worse off than we were before. <laughs> Um, we have, we have kind of eclipsed our previous, well, both the hospitalizations. I mean, every day we're setting records basically with, uh, um, who's currently hospitalized, um, not just cumulatively. So we're in a much worse situation yet all the energy is gone, which is bizarre to me. I mean, it's, it's, it is kind of gone in myself. I mean, we, we, we are still, we are, we've, 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 we've talked as a family about kind of trying to dial back in, get more selective about, you know, trying to pick a few families and really invest there and make sure that we're taking care of some of the older folks in our neighborhood and whatnot. Um, but it, I just, yeah, I, I, I've noticed that it, it, that that kind of drive to do stuff like that, to do drastic things on behalf of someone else, I, f- I only really have it as long as I kind of get this like hit of a hero complex or like a little hmm. bit of a, you know, like, yeah, you know, we're, we're doing this thing. Um, I saw, I, I think I saw some of that with the reaction to George Floyd's death as well. I mean, of course his situation wasn't new. Um, right. I mean, it was horrifying. Uh, and you know, you know, the difference now is people can see it and you know, there was, there was what's more visibility. It was caught on camera. Right. Um, and so there was outcry and, 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 but now, I mean, I don't know in, in Atlanta, at least in Athens, it seems like 
there are still some protests going on, but there's not like thousands of people in the streets like there used to be. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't think it's because we fixed the problem. Right. <laughs> so again, we just, it's like we, we just run out of steam. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about, well, what are the, what other areas are, 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 are being exposed? Like, you know, problems or just how, how we've set things up. I mean, one of the problems with COVID, of course, is that, you know, what, what, what's happened is it has disproportionately affected people of color and, and, and yes. people who are poorer. But that's not because of anything in the virus. We're because of the DNA of people who are poor mm. or something. It's, it's because right. those fault lines already existed. Um, there yes. was already those things, right? And so now maybe we have all this drive to like fix the COVID thing when it's, when it's you know, really hot. But what about underneath? What, what about that under, the, the, the underlying issues? What about the things that, that cause this condition to affect people of color like two or three times more? Like they, they get hospitalized significantly more than, um, than, uh, than white people do. Or, or right. um, there's, just, there's, there's not that same energy there. I think it, it feels overwhelming. I mean, then, then I also got, I started thinking about the same thing like with the planet. I mean, Lisa and I've been talking a lot about this with um, looking at co- looking what happened with COVID. I mean, one of the things that's been really discouraging is it, it feels like our. I'm trying to keep myself on topic here. I'm like super tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. One of the things that has been, I, I'll come back to where Lisa and I were talking about in just a minute. But one of the things that has been definitely that I've definitely seen has actually been really discouraging for me to see is it's it, it has started to feel like. I've, I've gotten a glimpse behind the curtain and it just, it just, it's clear now to me more than ever that the economy is the only thing that's sacred in this country. Hmm. Um, I think it's Brian Zahn, you know, the pastor that you and I love and, and friend of the show, frankly, there you go. Um, there you go. He, 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 he says, he calls the economy, the holy one. <laughs> In his sermons, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll always refer. It. I love it. It's just it's perfect because it because it is, and you see that here. It's like right yeah, now, the only thing like we're in a situation where, you know, this this thing has gotten out of control in the state of Georgia. I mean, when there's not really a way to, and I'm not going to unpack all the numbers and whatnot, but, um, you know, three or four thousand new cases a day is that's a lot. Pretty common. We doubled. The number of cases within the last six weeks, I believe, like cumulatively, hmm. which is pretty nuts. Um, de- it hasn't started to hit; hasn't started to really affect deaths yet. Although there, 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 there could be a slight what what could be the beginning of a slight uptick. We have to wait and see. Um, but that's how this works. First, you have the cases increase, then your hospitalizations, and our hospitalizations are definitely up. We're almost. Well, as of this afternoon, we were like 87%, I think, of our critical bed capacity across the state. Um, That's coming from our GEMA. Uh, So where am I going with all this? Um, We're we're like way worse off, but all the energy and like we're we're not going to lock down. Why? Because because we kind of just over it. We're over it. And 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 the powers that be if like this is. We have an we have an economy to run, and there and there's some level of truth there. I mean, people 
you know, people do, um, <laughs> we, we, a, a bad economy hurts real people. And yeah. that's, that's true. Yeah. But I think what, what has been just frustrating is I, I just have, I've seen not only just my peers, like people that are, you know, in our, in their twenties and thirties going out and just being flippant about this whole thing. Um, there, there just seems to be a total disregard for the, the way that we're all connected with one another. Mm-hmm. And that like the fact that I'm flippant and that I'm free to not wear a mask. Um, it's not really just about my rights or my decision. Like it, my, what I do affects other people and affects people that I won't even see. It affects, you know, when I go to the gas station and I'm, uh, you know, not going to wear a mask or something. Well, that, that decision could affect somebody who pulls up next to me and they could have a mom who's in a nursing home and that could literally decimate a nursing home. I mean, it has um, in our state at least. So hmm. um, where am I going with all this? It, it, it's seeing how we we prioritize the economy. Has we then kind of questioning that consumptive posture like just the assumptions of of the whole thing of <laughs> right um i mean because it seems like the, the only way the economy works is when we're all just consumers um i'm not an economist and i don't claim to be one but and i don't i, I don't think it's a bad thing inherently but it, it does kind of seem to it, it seems our 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 prioritization of it it seems to have kind of taken a life of its own Hmm. Um, and so the, then that comes back to the planet because that same mentality, like the same, you know, in order for the economy to do well, we've got to keep on consuming and keep on producing. But the simple fact is that we don't live in a place that can handle that forever. Right. I mean, we might, right. we might be able to do that for another five or 10 years or 10 or 20 years or a thousand years or a or hundred years, who knows, but not forever. And so right. at some point, those assumptions have to be challenged and dismantled if we're not going to just drive this whole thing off a cliff. And so that's what Elise and I have been talking about is like, oh my gosh, you know, just like we saw with, you know, we, we, we've kind of in our state prioritized reopening um, over trying to contain this virus. Um, right. And in doing so, we're, we're, we are effectively we're making a trade-off here that people are going to die because of this. Um, that same drive, that same kind of impulse to constantly consume. Like, like, I guess, I guess what we've noticed is that our, our ideas about what's normal are predicated upon a totally unsustainable situation. Yes. And so the drive to get back to like, Hey, let's get back to normal is, is a desire to get back to something that is totally unsustainable. And so as a family, we've been having conversations about, okay, well, what are, the, what, are, what are the habits, the assumptions, the patterns that we have that aren't sustainable for our planet, just for our own health? Um, mm. You know, there's a number of those things. I, don't, I mean, I've already been rambling too long, but, you know, I, uh, definitely like a news addiction on my part. You mentioned some of that. Um, we have one of the big changes we're working on right now is actually trying to eat locally. We've started doing more stuff with farmers markets and, Okay, we'll have to unpack that in another podcast. Um, But trying to recognize, so yeah, I guess the 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 takeaway is that I'm I've been thinking about, all right, what are the what is being exposed, and what would it look like to 
start to engage in this in a way that's not a sprint. It's more like a marathon. Yes. Um, Like how do I, how do I start to step into this slowly, but sustainably so I can run, run the full course. Does that make sense? I mean, that's a long, it does. That's good. Yeah, no, that, that is good. Um, it, it plays into what I said earlier. Yeah. Just about, again, taking this opportunity to rethink what's sustainable, what's not sustainable. Um, back to sort of building off of initial point I made. And I think it aligns with what you said. What's so interesting. So I was talking to a, a friend, um, we were talking about racism and, um, just all the, uh, like kind of back and forth sending message, audio messages. And we're talking about the history of racism. We're talking about not the history of racism. We're talking about the history of frankly, bl- black individuals in this country. You're talking about slavery, Jim Crow, mass incarceration, systemic racism, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, this really interesting thing sort of came out because we, the you know, 80% of our conversation was about, and he and I wouldn't see eye to eye on everything, but he's generally, he loves Jesus. He's a you know kind guy. He, you know, he's a good dude who's also semi, you know, self-aware and ask good questions and albeit opinionated differently than I am. And so we're having this conversation and I realized 80% of our back and forth was just about, you know, society and history and, you know, what does this political party say and what is this? And it's very logical and relatively reasoned. And, you know, what do you think about these facts or whatever this facts or what about this? And towards the end of the conversation, I had to, I said, I said, it was so interesting because we were trying to get to sort of where do you stand on systemic racism or this other stuff? I don't think those are bad questions. I think, you know, there's, there's stuff to be learned and you can say the same thing. Where do you stand on sort of some of these COVID things and what you're hearing. And unfortunately, right. It's just, it's so messy. I wish it wasn't. Um, but then this, this idea came, this thing came out towards the end of the conversation, which was now all that to say, we just had a 80% of our conversation was this back and forth, but let's put on a lens, which is you and I, me and this person talking have committed to Jesus as followers, as disciples, as cross carrying kingdom people. So everything we just said with the data and the history and how do we make a rational argument on where to stand on this subject mm. really needs to be paused, right? And we need to remind ourselves and sort of start with, okay, as Jesus people, yeah, how do we approach these subjects? Like, I, I think this weird, and you call it secularization, call it just, you know, consumerism. I don't know what it is, and I'm guilty of it. So I'm not saying the Christians out there. I'm saying we as Christians, like Paul even says this, like, it's not my job to judge those outside the church. But there's something particular about those of us who are claiming allegiance to Jesus. Like, this idea that, like, we just join in the the, the zeitgeist of the day and cut and pick a side yeah. on Fauci and on masks and on Black Lives Matter. Pick a side. Well, I heard it's this. I heard it's this. Well, I follow that. We, I don't understand why we're start, we start there instead of starting with Jesus, kingdom perspective, right? And these obviously are not black and white, but like, in other words, you look at the Gospels, it appears that Jesus is typically siding with those who are being affected by the powers that be negatively versus standing with the powers that be right. The preferential option for the poor as seen throughout scripture and has been discussed 
ad nauseum for the last 2000 years in the church, right? Is, is pro- there's probably some evidence of that, right? Generally speaking, the prophets speaking out against nationalism and, you know, being in bed with empire, be it the royal, you know, be it royalty or even the priesthood or the Pharisees, or whatever else, like we see these themes in scripture, right? So I think we have to ask ourselves, like, what does it mean to be kingdom people now? And before we just decide where we stand on these things based on like history or based on our friend group or these other things. And so I guess the reason I say that and kind of draw all that out is I'd even encourage our listeners and for you and I, like, I think it's important that we really, okay, where do we stand here? Like I was talking we have a small group, a house church group that we meet virtually, you know, every week. And we kind of brought this up in the group. I was like, um, part of it I brought up, part of it I was thinking as part of this talk and we sort of had a discussion, but it was like, remembering like, oh yeah, we've signed up for a certain way of life. We've signed up to be a certain kind of people that would stand in the gap, that would again, stand with the hurting and the marginalized, that would provide a sort of prophetic imagination that Mm -hmm. would say, you know, how can we reimagine this? What does it mean to rethink? And so for the church, um, again, back to my, where I started here and where you and I have, what you and I have discussed, how can the church get creative about being a sort of living embodiment of a different way, right? Of a different way of doing life, but even a different way of doing church, a different way of congregating. Like, how can we reimagine instead of just, hey, let's get everybody back as soon as we can in a room, because if we don't, we're going to lose out on X, yep. Y, or Z. And that's not always bad, right? But, and I, I'm empathetic towards pastors that have been locked up and haven't been able to preach in three, four months. I mean, I, I, that's hard. Um, but what can we be doing as a people to be, to not only, like to to reimagine, right? And to to not think just in terms of of logistics and picking a side like the world does. And um, we can go off on that. Maybe we want to talk about prophetic imagination a bit. Uh, there's you know, there's just so many interesting oh, thoughts man. there. But I just think our job. The, okay, last thing. We need room. God has always created space. In scripture, in you know, the history of God's people, he's always created space for prophetic critique. And the powers that be have not always had ears to hear that. Typically they haven't. The prophets are killed, they're marginalized, they're exiled, etc. But there's a margin created for the prophets who are called. They're not aligned to the king, they're not aligned to the priesthood, they're not aligned to economic powers. They are the outcast. They are sort of this out in the woods, eating locusts and honey. They're the one. They're the the loners that, and their job is to to critique, as Brueggemann says, critique and to energize the people of God. So it's it's speaking honestly and authentically about where things have gone awry, and then it's you know then it's actually energizing you know, people and community to, to actually say, okay, there's another, another world is possible. There's this community of faith can move into, you know, somewhere differently. There's an alternative. And are we as a church, like, what can we be doing to be a part of that story for ourselves and for, for the body of Christ? And I I just don't think we're radical. Like, I just don't think if I'm being honest, and maybe we're now so far into this, I just don't think we're that salty. I, I don't think I'm that salty. I don't think there's really, you know, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount type sense, I, I just, mm. we need space for that. We're shutting down those voices or those voices are just too easily sort of either pushed aside or uh, even someone like myself, I think I get lazy. I don't want to get creative. I don't want to actually put the time, energy and effort into thinking about the reimagining, but this is the time, man. 
Dude, man, I, I love that you mentioned the Brogamon book because I have been reading that. You bought it for me years ago. And I to my shame, I've only just begun to read it this uh in the last month or two. Um and I, I had it here on my desk because I was talking with you. Um, there's a spot that I underlined. Yeah, read it, man. Cause you know, in, in this it's it's interesting, like they just I, I think one of the things that, that, that has that that's happened, um and I guess just to kind of limit the scope of this whole thing, what we could talk about the church thing. Um, I mean, we did have this amazing energy in the beginning. Um, and it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of dissipated since then. And I've, I've seen just in the church kind of across the board, you know, with different circles that I, that I run in, I, d- I just see a lot of conversation about, yeah, like how do we get back to doing this? There's a lot of concern over the church like what's going to happen to this flock if we don't get meeting again? Yeah. But okay. if you, if if you if you kind of you sort of sit with that for a minute, what has actually changed? What's different about the church? Well, what's different is that for about an hour and a half a week on a Sunday, or if you're really pious, maybe an extra hour and a half on a Wednesday. Um. So you know, at most three hours a week. We're not getting everyone together in the same room and facing in the same direction, singing a few songs together, uh, receiving some kind of scripture thing, and then and then going our separate way. So we're, we're talking about a fraction of the hours of the week. Now, of course, you know we're not necessarily all hanging out in person, although you know, one on one either. But right. you know that's how it, it it's happening more like i i i feel like our our ability to to be the church one-on-one is far less affected than our ability to like meet in huge groups yes. and so my my i guess what i was thinking the other day was like man what does this mean like what does it mean if we're worried about our communities crumbling because we're not gathering for these corporate worship services i mean to me i i hear that and i say man it sounds like we've got we put way too much weight on that one wall. Hmm. Like if we're worried, this whole thing's going to come crashing because for an hour and a half a week, we're not getting together and looking in the same direction and singing the same songs and then going, going our separate ways. What, what is it? What are, what is our community built on? Hmm. Like I'm willing to bet the people who felt is- who feel isolated right now are the same people who felt isolated on a Sunday. Right. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's like the, the, the thing with, you know, people of color or people who are, um, you know, struggling to get by these people who are, who are, who are essential workers. COVID-19 is not affecting them harder because of something about the desires or about, about the virus or about them. It's, yes, it's affecting them more because of, there was already a fault line there. And so likewise in our churches, I think there was already a fault line. We're not, we're not really living our lives together. And so when, the one thing that we all kind of go do together once a week is no longer there. There's nothing left. And so I, mm. what I wish we did as, as churches was that we spent 80% of our time and our anxiety and our resources going, Oh my gosh, we've like put all this weight on this wall. <laughs> right. Uh, how do we how do we redistribute that? Because that, I mean, to me, the Sunday morning is not even supposed to be a load bearing wall. 
it's you know it's a it's 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 a nice thing it's a bonus but it's definitely not what kept the church alive for 2000 years right um i mean you can just go ask the christians now who are having to meet you know in secret right um so so that's interesting man because i and then and then then like like you said earlier i hear so much of the logic and the reasoning um is it's the same law it's 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 liberal or conservative logic and reasoning so it's you know our, our our impulse our decision to meet together or not is often kind of built on assumptions that we, that are just handed to us from our from whatever you know political dispositions we have yes um but what yeah what is it a distinctly christian way to reason about this the, the, the quote i wanted to read here um i think it's good because a lot of times the resistance to something new or something different comes because it just doesn't seem practical or, or like, like we just don't, we don't have an imagination for it. It doesn't seem like it's realistic. Um, yeah. And Brueggemann, uh, this is chapter three, where he's talking about the sort of the embracing, um, he, the chapter is called prophetic criticizing in the embrace of pathos. And the whole, the Brueggemann will go on later to make this point that basically there's two jobs of a prophet. There's just critiquing that has to be done. And then they're just energizing. But before there can be an energizing, that critiquing has to happen because this prophet has to enter this situation has to enter the, you know, the situation uh, of the empire mm-hmm. and to begin to kind of, to point out, Hey, I know where the bodies are. We know what this thing is built on. Right. And, 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 and it's out of that critiquing that, that this newness can come. And he says, um, let's see here. Um, so the first question is how can we have enough freedom to imagine and articulate a real historical newness in our situation? That is not to ask, as Israel's prophets um, ever asked, if this freedom is realistic or politically practical or economically viable. To begin with such questions, meaning the one, you know, is this viable, is it practical? To begin with those questions is to concede everything to the royal consciousness even before we begin. We need not ask whether it is realistic or practical or viable but whether it is imaginable. We need to ask if our consciousness and imagination have been so assaulted and co-opted by the royal consciousness that we've been robbed of the courage or power to think an alternative thought. Hmm. This book is fire, man. I just, yeah, like, <laughs> awesome. We're reading The Prophetic Imagination by Walter Brueggemann, which came out in 1978 and is still amazing. Ugh. So that's... I. I wish... Mm. The uh, I could I have like a dozen quotes on this thing we could read, but I love his point about grief. Do you remember that? Remember, remember I talked about prophetic grief. Yes, our grief is like point number one. He says, "Here's an, here's one other quote." He says, "The ministry is using Jeremiah as an example. The ministry of Jeremiah. This is from chapter four. The ministry of Jeremiah, as we have considered it, is a model. As a model, was considered with radical criticism." And the most radical criticism of the prophet is the grief over death. The alternative community embodied in Jeremiah saw how surely fatal everything the kings thought life was. Hmm. And that, 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 that sentence, I feel like right there summarizes to me is sort of the revelation of COVID-19 is that everything that we have thought vital, I'm starting to 
to, to sort of see how fatal it is. This drive to get back to normal. No, we've got to get back to normal. I got to get back to, you know, life as it always was. Well, there's, <laughs> hmm. I, 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 I want to engage. I want to have more of that imagination. I don't know that I have a stamina for it. I, I, I pray right. that I can have it, but at least Brueggemann seems to say that the first thing we do have to do is grieve over it. So I don't know. What do you think about that, man? Is that, is that, is that making sense? No, it definitely is. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I think, uh, I'm looking at my book now. Everyone really should read this. Like if you want, this is just so, so good. good. Especially yeah. dude, uh, this was right now. The, this book is written for a moment. Like right now. It really is. And for, for, yeah. a, frankly, for a president, like right now. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um, I was going to read a quote as well. And now I'm, yeah, or, this is great. The real criticism begins. No, this is great. Um, let me read this really quick. Sorry, we're not the most polished here. <laughs> um, oh, wait, did you just read this on page 20? You didn't read this. Uh, this is early on. No, I didn't read it. The real criticism begins in the capacity to grieve because that is the most visceral announcement that things are not right. Only in the empire are we pressed and urged and invited to pretend that things are all right. Yeah. Either in the Dean's office or in our marriage or in the hospital room, as long as the empire can keep the pretense alive, that things are all right. There will no law. There will be no real grieving and no serious criticism. You know, we mm. talked about, um, that, What's what's we did this before? Is it Psalm seventy eight? I forget what it is, but we talked about this last time. Sort of the, you know, as Jerusalem, excuse me, as the Israelites are exiled to Babylon, and sort of this, you know, oh, yeah. the, the hanging up of the harps, uh, mm -hmm. you know, at, at the river, and you know, Babylon is is pleading for Israel to you know sing us the songs of Zion, and you know, the empire, sort of the powers that be, are wanting the the church, wanting the in this in that Psalm, sort of the. Uh, Israel to carry on, right? Like, yeah. yes, you've been exiled. Carry on as as life was. Go worship. Go do your thing. Like, come on, let's be happy. Let's be optimistic. One thirty-seven. So one thirty-seven. Yep. And it's like, how can we? How can we sing? Right? Like, how can we sing in this season? How how can we possibly ignore just the 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 grief? How can we not stand in the grief? You know, of this moment of this season and. um so I, I just, yeah, I, I, I think there's something to be said there and the grief, you know, not only of the, you know, hundreds of thousands who have died from, from COVID, um, not only, you know, George Floyd and, 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 you know, countless and unfortunately nameless others who have died at the hands of whether it's police brutality or, or other, you know, violence, um, or any number of other things, right? There is a sort of a, a grieving and also, again, for our even our allegiance to the wrong kingdoms. I think there's a sort yeah. of grieving and a, and, a and a critique that has to come with that that says, listen, why like, why are you so upset about this? Well, because this is, this is not right. Like, this is not how this was meant to be. There's, again, a grief that that exposes, okay, wow, something must really be awry. It's honestly the same type mechanism you see like when you're in a, play, a public place or at work or whatever and someone just starts crying, like for whatever reason, it's just getting real awkward. It's yeah. like, what's going on here? Like, oh, this is not okay. Like, <laughs> let's move on. Like, we're good. We're good. And, you know, there's something that exposes. And I think 
that's what he's pointing out as well. Like the pro the weeping prophet is sort of this, you know, the, the, it's Noah building the ark amidst the flood. It's like, wait, yeah. wait, 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 what's going on here? You're nuts. And it's forcing the powers that be and those in the media, you know, surroundings to go, okay, wait, what's, what's really going on here? And I think the church has to be that voice. Totally. I mean, so he, when, when he says royal consciousness, he's talking about, I guess it's just for our listeners to get the background. Um, he, Brueggemann makes this, um, he draws out an important kind of a uh, development that happened between David and Solomon. So David you know, is kind yes. of like the, the, yes. the, the, in, in the Bible, in the old Testament, David is like the, the, the ideal King. I mean, well, when, but when you look at it, I mean, he really was kind of a mess. It's really um, the worst. Yeah. Um, but he's still described as a man after God's own heart. And um, in Israel's memory, King David was the good old days. Like that, like things, something was right about King David. And when you read yes. his story, there are, I mean, for all, for all the problems that he is, yes, you know, right. was, right. was the, was, was Bathsheba a, 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 a rape? Well, yeah, probably. Um, so look, there's major problems, but then you can also look and see, um, in a number of ways of how he conducted himself that he, he was distinctly different, um, especially from right. what would have been normal for other Eastern Kings. But anyways, but then with Solomon, you know, Solomon comes, and, and, and when we read about Solomon, especially when you read it in the Chronicles accounts, um, Solomon pretty quickly becomes problematic. I mean, he's the wisest man, but <laughs> then he right. marries the Pharaoh's daughter, right? And, and usually in those situations, that's 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 a that's a political marriage. That's, that's alignment, a, right? It's an alignment. Yeah. It's kind of a it's a partnership. Um, in exchange, you know, Solomon gets these different cities. Um, and uh, the, in, in Chronicles, you also see he, he, there's, there's a place where it describes how Solomon has all these horses and chariots. And yes. uh, these, these are all weapons of mass destruction. Um, and, and then he also amasses like a whole harem. So I, I don't have all the verses in front of me. I, I, we can, in the show notes, we'll put a, a, a helpful episode maybe from um, Marty's podcast. He's a uh, uh, host of the Bama podcast at, highlights a lot of this also there's a good episode of the robcast i could link there as well um where basically some the author what the author trying to tell you is solomon blew this thing <laughs> it pretty yes. quickly he starts as the wisest man but pretty quickly uh this whole royalty thing and how everyone else does royalty all the assumptions of what it means to be royalty basically rot his brain i mean he just he can't hmm. it uh so 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 whereas you know the critique of david would be like his his sin you know his personal sin with solomon it's his his his, his the degree which he's in bed with power and and how drunk he is on empire um yes so the royal consciousness yeah. is that sort of spirit of the empire so and and and, and Brueggemann says that in the royal consciousness there's this addiction to the now. Like the, the, there can never be anything new. There yes. can only ever just be new, like other configurations of the pieces on the board currently. Um, and so, you know, you, you're, you'll you'll often <laughs> you'll, you'll often hear the promise of the future is always like the promise of basically everything now, just further up into the right. Um, yes. Never like 
totally alternative ways of thinking about this. Never questioning, is this whole thing that we built even what we really wanted in the first place? Um, and so there, Brueggemann, I'm, I'm going to read one other quote here. This is, in, this is page 46, at least in our edition. This is from um, in his chapter on, on criticizing. He says, the royal consciousness leads people to numbness, especially numbness about death. And it's the task of prophetic ministry and imagination to bring people to engage with, with, with their experiences of suffering to death. This thing has really hit me hard in 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 the COVID situation mm. because as hundreds of thousands, well, over 100,000 have died. And before this is done, it will be hundreds of thousands who will have mm. died. Disproportionately, people who are marginalized, people who are um, you know, already on the wrong side of so many fault lines in our country, people who are elderly, people who are uh, already sickly, um, there, I, I feel like there was just conscious effort to numb us all yeah. so that we can get back to the fight, right? To, to get back to God and economy. And, you know, we got to get things together. I mean, I think, you know, I, in, um, in Texas, you know, they, they passed mass mandates except in church. Hmm. Have you heard about that? I mean, no. <laughs> Why? Oh, no, I did it's, see a headline, but I don't know anything about it. Except in church. Like, you can have, you need to wear your mask, but when you're in church, it's fine. Why? Well, because it, there's just like, <sighs> it's a political move, right? And so, it, to me, what's being exposed is not that we, uh, it, what's being exposed is that these decisions are being made uh, not on behalf of those people. Right. right. And And we can become, even in the church, we can we can be co-opted just as much, and so we end up getting numb. Like our our desire to get back together and to sing the song and just to sort of feel normal again. Some of that we have to really could just be the numbness of of the imperial consciousness. That's yes. That's that's we 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 want we want to just push past this. But the reality is, in our country, we're still we're crashing two planes a day of people who are disadvantaged right. mostly right and and there's no right. and there's no grief there's no turmoil there's no i mean i think we flew the flag have mass for like a week or something maybe yeah uh, mm. and that was it you know um i have a feeling like if a trump tower were to come down it'd probably be some kind of national holiday for <laughs> yeah uh yeah. it but when we crash two planes a day of these people who are already pushed to the outside, we're just numb to it. And I, and I hate that. How, how is it that our, what is normal to us comes to the expense of all those people? Yeah. No, oh, I'll get off my soapbox. No, that's good. You make me think and hopefully our, our listeners too. Well, maybe that's a good place to wrap. I think it's a, Unless there's something else you wanted to share, I think there, there's something uh, we could keep talking. But I, I think there's some sort of internal work that you and I have also sort of adopted, uh, you know, over the last months, sort of different prayer practices and different things that have sort of at least had me, I think both of us sort of reflecting on a day to day to day basis, uh, even if it's only for a few minutes, right on the day, and and sort of how we show up in the world. I mean, the you know the realities of 
family life with young kids and everything else is just truly absurd. But at the same time, like, I think those have allowed me, those have given me opportunities, mm-hmm. those moments have given opportunities to, to, to let like sort of the spirit speak into some of these things. And I think it's important that we, that we're willing to sit in it. And that's whether that's grief or just a contemplation or an imagination about what else is possible. And yeah. what are things we can do, right? Like for our listeners, I'd encourage you, like, what can you start doing? Like, what can we start doing or not doing? You mentioned even like local food thing. I mean, it's what's so wild, right? It's like all of these things are so intertwined and embedded and there's just so much here. And they're like the littlest things can begin to shift how we think and, and how we show up in the world. And so yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity. Like we could see it as an opportunity and a challenge, right. To, 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 to step into something new. Yeah. Well, and it, and it can be hard because the things, the issues are huge, right? Like systemic racism is a thing and, and it's real and it is, it is ingrained in our consciousness. It's, it's the product of our kind of collective behaviors. And it's, 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 no, no one, not one, no one of us can can take down the whole thing. So, it, I, yes. I, I have compassion for the people who would hear this and say, "Well, I just, you know, what do you want me to do? I mean, I can't fix any of this. You can't." But you know, the 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 call, the, like to take up the cross. Bonhoeffer says that, right? He says, um. Uh, when Christ calls a man, he he bids him to come and die, and it's only in the death that that resurrection happens, right? So, I I don't know, man. I am overwhelmed. I can't, you know. I, I'm kind of an idealist when it comes to a lot of stuff. With, um, yeah, I I wish that I could just do everything, right? Like just just yes. live this like yes. with no cognitive dissonance. But I th- I think there's something to be said for, for being willing to sort of step out in, in faith, I guess to kind of use a cliche. Um, one manifestation of, of, of that faith is sometimes just setting you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take this small and sustainable step and I'm going to do it for 90 days, a hundred days, two years, three years, 10 years, rest of my life, whatever. Yes, exactly. Um, yep. And and then, but then, because then, what happens when you do that? When you die that one little bitty death, well, you might just get a little bitty resurrection, right? You yeah. you, you might just find something new, and and then then you might you might kind of work up the courage to die another one. Maybe, maybe this one's a little bit bigger. Maybe maybe this is this next one is one that like you thought you'd never be able to to get rid of, but you've died before, and you saw where God met you, and you saw what He brought out of you. So maybe maybe if you die here, He'll 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 bring you back again. And that cycle just keeps going. And I think we, we, we just have to be faithful that God is going to meet us in that. And I don't know what it's going to look like, man. I mean, right now, I feel like if we're kind of using Brueggemann's framework, we're mostly in the grief stage. Yes. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the energizer is going to look like. It's not time yet. No. Yep. Totally agree. I started reading, by the way, side note, speaking of the dying for the resurrections. I never actually read Falling Upward. Oh, it's so oh, good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. So I finally like got on, got on that. You ever feel like there's books like you've heard about, you've heard talked about, you feel like you could give a talk about, but you've yeah. never read it. <laughs> yeah. That's I, that's I yeah. Like the Bible. Me. Like the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> I can't say I picked it up. Exactly. Dude, we got a rock. It's so late, man. Yeah. It's, it's not that late, but it's late. It's late for, for dads in their thirties. <laughs> 
We're old now, man. I don't know if you know this. The thing is, you know, like the worst is the fact that I know like we will hang up, but I'm not going to bed in the next 30 minutes. Like there's a whole, like I'm going to be doing this and this and this. And like, uh, it's like you have a moment of silence in the house. So you don't actually just shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, dude, this has been good, man. Huh, good time, man. Holy cow. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's so disrespectful. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> It's the reality. Listen, everyone, thanks so much for, t- for honing in. Want to end on a positive note. I mean, I think overall, I'm so grateful just to have an, you know, so I wasn't saying to have an audience. What I really meant to say is, have, you know, folks that are also engaged in this dialogue and that that care, that are thinking, you know, I think we're all trying to figure this out. And, um, you know, hopefully there are resources, tools, you know, relationships in your immediate communities, you know, that, that can be engaged here in this time. So, it's unprecedented, but also that means, yeah, Newton, the little resurrections. I love that, Stephen. I think that's such a powerful, powerful thing to think about. And go get a prophetic imagination. Yeah. Get your world rocked. Do it. All right, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>